Welcome to WMNF 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. You're tuned in now to the Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan. And I want to thank everyone who contributed to the recently completed WMNF Summer Fun Drive. Our listener sponsors have responded well, but we're still short of the station's overall goal of $222,000. Many of the news and public affairs shows did very well, but some still came up short. And so uh, we are short in the news and public affairs department by, listen to this, by $148. So I'm looking for someone who can donate $148 right now that would help us to meet the goal for the news and public affairs shows. What a great honor that would be. So if you can, please contribute now to WMNF.org. We're especially looking for a $148 donation to help the news and public affairs reach its goal. Well, today we're going to get right back into the hard-hitting news stories you expect on our public interest shows. We're going to hear today about opposition to fossil fuel drilling in the Gulf of Mexico. The audio you're going to hear today is from an online conference call that happened in late May. It was hosted by the nonprofit Oceana. The people you'll hear during the show today want the Biden administration to stop issuing new oil and gas leases in the Gulf of Mexico. So what do you think? Probably the easiest way for you to reach us this hour is for you to email us at dj at wmnf.org so I can read your comments on the air. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. Please, if you do text, sign your name and let us know where you're calling from. So we're going to kick off this segment. The first one is you'll hear from Congress member Kathy Castor. Of course, you know that she's a Democrat from the, from the Tampa area. She'll be introduced here by Environment Florida's Kelsey Lamp. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. This is the Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. Here is Kelsey Lamp, followed by Congressmember Kathy Castor. From the Everglades to the beaches of Pensacola, we're lucky to have some of our country's most spectacular natural spaces at our fingertips and in our backyards. And that's why for generations, Floridians have worked to tirelessly protect our beaches, our ocean wildlife, and our coastal communities from the threat of offshore drilling. And with support of our congressional leaders like Representative Castor, we've been able to keep drilling rigs far from our coasts. From passing moratoriums on drilling in federal waters off Florida's beaches to overwhelmingly voting to prohibit oil drilling in state waters, the people of Florida have made it clear that we want to protect our coast. But 12 years ago, we got a vivid illustration of the fact that oil doesn't respect state boundaries. When the BP Deepwater Horizon oil rig exploded, it sent more than 160 million gallons of oil gushing into the Gulf of Mexico, covering our ocean life in oil and sending tar tar balls rolling up on Florida's beaches. The BP spill started in the center of the Gulf, far from our coast, but its impact was felt by our wildlife and our coastal communities. Today, you'll hear from key voices about what we can do to keep our coastlines, our wildlife, and our communities safe from the threats posed by oil spills, from the threats po- and also from the threats posed by the oil and gas that makes it to shore. So that's why I am glad to be a part of this event and to introduce Representative Kathy Castor, who chairs the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis and who has introduced bills to permanently protect Florida's federal waters from offshore drilling. So now I'll turn it over to Representative Castor to talk about her ongoing work to protect our coast. Well, thank you, Kelsey. Thanks, Hunter. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm coming to you from my office uh, here at home in Tampa. 
and uh, fresh from a visit to to the beach over this the spectacular weekend we had, and it, it was crowded. People were out enjoying our beautiful Gulf beaches on this side of the state, and so this this conversation is is very timely about how we are going to work together to, to protect what makes Florida special, to protect our coastline, uh, and also to protect the pocketbooks of Floridians. Uh, at this time of high gas prices and high electric bills. But starting out, we, we know here in the Sunshine State that our beautiful beaches, the Gulf of Mexico, the Atlantic side, all of our waterways are central to our way of life. It's the cornerstone of our economy, whether that's tourism or fishing. We know firsthand uh, that offshore oil drilling is dirty, it's risky, it's costly, uh, but at the same time, people are looking for answers to high energy prices. So I'm heartened that we have advocates here with us today that are going to talk about those solutions going forward. But I think we, we start off uh, pretty united that opening up new areas off the coast of Florida uh, to oil and gas drilling would be, it, it would, would not provide relief to consumers. You're going to hear a lot of folks out there saying uh, it's time to open up areas that have been closed off before to, to drilling. But we know very well here how risky that is. Uh, most of us lived through the BP Deepwater Horizon blowout where the drilling didn't even happen close to our uh, Gulf beaches, uh, but we were still hit economically. And I'll, I will never forget you know, hugging, looking into the eyes of small business owners uh, along the Pinellas beaches uh, who were just devastated coming out of the Great Recession. And then that was another hit to it. We know that drilling is a dirty business, too. It muds, metals, uh, toxic mercury in a place where hurricanes frequent. It's it's just a calamity waiting to happen. Now you add in the rising costs of the climate crisis as well. Uh, what we're seeing with higher temperatures brings higher electric bills. Unfortunately, what's happening to the water table, higher flood insurance rates. Our neighbors are experiencing higher property insurance rates higher cost of government to repair and upgrade water lines, wastewater facilities. Uh, so there's a climate element that a lot of folks who say, let's go drill, they don't ever really factor those costs into the equation, but they're real. And then globally speaking, uh, after the invasion of Ukraine by Vladimir Putin, I think everyone is awake to the fact that we don't want these petro despots or oil cartels controlling our lives anymore. They know we've got to wean ourselves off of fossil fuels that's um, choking our economy, our security, really our whole society. And I'm so proud to watch our allies in the EU say that in response, they're going to stay off the Russian oil, wean themselves off, and ramp up uh, what they're doing on clean energy and energy efficiency. 
So I want to share a little story with you as well. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had the CEOs from all of the big oil and gas companies in front of my committee. And it was very interesting because a lot of my GOP colleagues, of course, were on the mantra of open up new lands, build new pipelines, double down on fossil fuels. And those CEOs said, uh, no, they've got it pretty good right now. They, they do not intend to increase supply. Uh, and in fact, they are sitting on thousands of unused leases. Uh, so there's, there's a great fallacy in what a lot of my colleagues are saying that we need to push them to ramp up uh, supply. They, they could do that if they want to, but they don't want to because they are making record profits right now, keeping supply tight. And they're afraid that we're, they're going to get into another pinch where, as you saw during the pandemic, the demand for oil and gas went down and they know they don't want to be ramping up and depending on stranded assets. So that's why we passed a, a bill a couple of weeks ago to get at the price gouging of these uh, big oil companies and CEOs as they pad their bottom line, as they do stock buybacks. I asked them, why don't you do the patriotic thing at a time of war and simply pass on some savings to consumers. Uh, they're not going to do that. So we're going to look at other ways like a windfall profits tax on them. So what's coming up now is the Interior Department is about to propose a draft five-year leasing plan for offshore waters. I'm hoping, and here's one of our action items today, I believe we've got to encourage the administration to focus on lower cost, clean energy now, not new oil and gas leases that, that the big oil companies have said they're not going to use anyway. According to the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, oil and gas companies are sitting on 2,000 of those offshore leases covering nearly 11 million acres on federal waters. So a lack of leases is not a problem. So I'm going to ask you all to weigh in with Interior and others through the advocates here today to encourage them to go farther, faster on offshore wind, other uh, clean energy initiatives. And remember, the fossil fuel companies, they are exporting a large amount of oil and gas that's uh, generated here in America. We, we've got to be smarter and we've got to wean ourselves off of volatile fossil fuels and ramp up clean energy, like lower cost solar and wind and energy efficiency and electric cars and better transit. And we can do this. Look at the Interior Department's successful offshore wind sale uh, in New York. They raised more than $4 billion and we're going to live through a remarkable transition. But it means rapidly increasing domestic carbon-free energy generation and energy efficiency measures and reducing, not expanding public lands and waters exposed to the risk of oil and gas drilling. The last thing we need is a massive uh, new lease sale that locks in future generations to decades more dependence on volatile fuels that hold us hostage to these global price shocks. So here's another fun fact for everybody. Did you know that just a couple of weeks ago, the entire state of California was powered almost 100% by renewable energy? 
That's a lot of solar. We're not anywhere near that here in the Sunshine State, but we should be going all in right now to lower costs for families and businesses through these lower cost renewables. Last November, the House of Representatives passed a package of tax credits that could help consumers right away reduce the annual utility bills by $500. American automakers are moving to all electric. Those tax credits would make those EVs more affordable now. Plus the bipartisan infrastructure law uh, has already passed and you're going to see electric vehicle charging all across America, particularly here in the Sunshine State. Funds for electric school buses and expanded transit. Plus, right now, the House and Senate have passed an important bill you may not have heard about. It's called America Competes. It's vitally important for clean energy development because it will improve our supply chains, uh, solar, domestic, manufacturing, and a lot of good uh, policies related to the oceans as well. So it's clear we've got to act now. We can't double down on the on the dirty solutions of the past. It, it, They're costly. They threaten our way of life here in Florida. I'm going to keep working as well on my Florida Coastal Protection Act that will permanently ban offshore drilling off of the coast of Florida. We passed it. It was included in the Build Back Better Act. We passed it in the House last year. It got stuck on Mitch McConnell's desk. But I'm more hopeful than ever that we will be able to unleash America's clean energy future and protect our beautiful natural resources uh, like Florida's beaches and everything that makes Florida special. You all give me confidence that we're gonna get there. Uh, So I wanna thank you all for coming together this afternoon and let's talk about some of these solutions on the table. Well, that is Congress member Kathy Castor. She's a Democrat from Tampa and the chair of the U.S. House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. You're listening to WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. This is the Tuesday Cafe, and today we're talking about um, offshore drilling in the Gulf of Mexico and opposition to the fossil fuel drilling, and especially we'll hear opposition to new leases in the Gulf. And I want to know what you think. The number to call in is, well, let me give you, I'll give out the number to call in later when we are closer to taking calls. But for right now, the best way to reach us is by text, which is 813-433-433. 0885. Please tell us your name if you do text in. Also, you can email us at dj at wmnf.org. And Eli writes, Hi, Sean. I really hope that Grieta, as she grows old, creates a nonviolent group of environmental, and he puts in quotes, inglorious bastards to extract a sort of clever, nonviolent revenge upon those destroyers of mother nature. So those are the thoughts out there in cyberspace from Eli. So thank you for that email. Again, you can email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can text 813-433-0885. And this is WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. We'll continue now with the comments from these activists and environmentalists about offshore drilling. Next up is Dr. Sarah Gillitz a marine scientist with the organization Oceana, and she spoke here about the BP Deepwater Horizon oil disaster and its impacts. You're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa. My name is Sarah Giltz. I'm a marine scientist with the Ocean Conservation Organization Oceana, and I'm based in New Orleans. 
I appreciate the opportunity to, today to be part of this event with so many uh, great uh, speakers we have here. And I'm going to give you a quick introduction to the dangers of offshore drilling and oil spills for coastal communities and marine wildlife. Offshore drilling causes oil spills and fuels the climate crisis. And these are just some of the reasons why we must protect our coast from new offshore drilling. First, I'm going to look back at the devastating BP Deepwater Horizon disaster. We all recall the horror of seeing oil spew into the Gulf of Mexico for months and washing, watching oil wash up on the beaches and cover birds and fish. This oil disaster caused catastrophic impacts to the environment and killed animals across the Gulf of Mexico. 1,300 miles of shoreline were oiled from Texas to Florida. And in addition to the huge number of dead animals you see on this slide, the fish, the turtles, the birds, oil hit some species particularly hard. For bottlenose dolphins, oil caused liver damage, tooth loss, and lung problems. For five years, more than 75% of dolphin pregnancies failed in the oiled area. And the rice's whale, which is unique to, to the Gulf of Mexico, and their population decreased about 20% following the disaster. And these are among the most endangered whales in the entire world, and the oil industry activities remain a primary threat to their precarious survival. And there were also huge economic impacts from the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. These were devastating and widespread. Fishing was shut down, many people were scared to eat Gulf seafood, and the seafood industry lost nearly a billion dollars. Over 10 million user days of beach fishing and boating activity were lost, which cost the recreation industry over $500 million. And yet today, offshore drilling remains dirty and dangerous. And it's not just these huge oil disasters that we have to worry about. The industry's safety record is unacceptable. There are too many spills and too many worker injuries each year. Between 2007 and 2018, there were more than 7,000 oil spills, which comes out to about two every single day, as well as 115 fires and explosions each year. And this continues to this day. But offshore drilling also brings infrastructure the coast. And each additional pipeline or refinery brings risks of accidents and spills. And you can see from this map here that the infrastructure footprint of the oil industry in the Gulf of Mexico is massive. There are about 2,000 offshore platforms and 26,000 miles of pipeline. And that's more than enough to circle the earth. In addition to oil spills and infrastructure, offshore drilling also fuels the climate crisis through contributing massive amounts of greenhouse gas pollution. Protecting our coast from offshore drilling must be part of our efforts to prevent the worst impacts of climate change. Permanently protecting all federal waters from offshore drilling can prevent more than 19 billion tons of greenhouse gas emissions. That's equivalent to taking every car off the road for 15 years. And all those greenhouse gas emissions translate into climate change caused damages that cost our communities money. That's increased flooding, worsening human health, loss of ecosystem services like water filtration, all of those things are made worse through climate change. So protecting our coast from new oil development can prevent over $720 billion in damages to people, property, and the environment. This would be like losing the entire economy of a major city like Washington, D.C., Boston, or Atlanta for a year. So offshore drilling threatens coastal communities with oil spills and pollution and threatens all of us through climate change. We need to transition now to clean renewable energy sources, and we have the technology to make that possible. The ocean can be part of the solution to our energy needs through renewable energy sources like offshore wind, which has the potential to generate more electricity than our nation currently demands. We must choose clean energy to protect our coast. 
That was Dr. Sarah Giltz, a marine scientist with Oceana, and you're listening to 88.5 FM, WMNF Tampa, WMNF.org. I'm Sean Canaan. It's the Tuesday Cafe that you're listening to right now. It's 1026 in the morning, and we're taking your comments about your thoughts on drilling in the Gulf as we hear from these activists and environmentalists who are talking about their opposition to Gulf drilling. But what do you think? Do you support drilling in the Gulf? And um, as we heard earlier, Representative Castor says that we need clean energy solutions and there are record profits from the oil and gas companies right now. Maybe you think that we should continue to drill... uh, our way out of the solution. Obviously, there's high gas prices, so maybe more and more drilling, you think, would be the, the answer in, in the Gulf of Mexico. Or maybe you're opposed to that. Give us a call or text us, I should say, 813-433-0885 is the text number. Please sign your name or you can email us at dj at wmnf.org and I'll read your comments on the air. Later on, I'll take some phone calls, but right now I'm just mostly taking text and email comments. So next up, we're going to hear from Getulio Gonzalez Mulatieri, who is a community organizer with Chispa, Florida. He helped organize a recent Hands Across the Sand action in Pinellas County. Maybe you've participated in, the, in those across uh, over the years, especially since, uh, since the Deepwater Horizon. Those became very popular. Well, he opposes new offshore drilling leases, and he's going to tell you right why right now. So here is Getulio Gonzalez Mulatieri, and this is 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa. So the mission of Chispa, Florida is to build the power of low-income Latino and BIPOC and other underserved communities across Florida to achieve climate justice and equity, community health, and environmental protection. Chispa is committed to the objective of demanding accountability from any policymaker that's turned a blind eye to environmental racism and other disparities which exist within Latino and BIPOC communities. Our communities have endured environmental injustices for far too long and are now bearing the brunt of the climate crisis through environmental hazards, public health disparities, and climate gentrification. And it's without question that the current uh, housing crisis that we're experiencing here in Florida is largely driven by climate uh, gentrification. Um, Part of CHISPA's educational mission includes sharing data on disparities in public health, among others. I personally find it egregious that Latinos are 30% more likely to visit hospitals for asthma and Latino children are 40% more likely to die from asthma and other respiratory conditions than non-Latino whites. Uh, These disparities result in processes uh, utilizing the production and consumption of fossil fuels. So Chispa, Florida stands in resolute opposition to new leases to offshore drilling. Accidents like the Deepwater Horizon oil spill has had inescapable consequences on our environment and our communities. According to a study conducted by Columbia University's National Center for Disaster Preparedness, more than a third of the children in Louisiana and Florida living less than 10 miles from the Deepwater Horizon oil spill were reported to experience physical or mental health symptoms. The parents of these children reported unexplained symptoms among their children, including bleeding ears, nosebleeds, and the early start of menstruation cycles among girls. This is only one of many instances where offshore drilling has directly resulted in a public health emergency. The leadership in our Latino and BIPOC communities, as well as our allies, can take forceful steps to protect our collective health 
from air and water pollution and from land contamination by demanding immediate accountability of corporate entities and policymakers at all levels of government and by pressuring them to rapidly advance the development of clean, affordable, safe, renewable energy sources. Similarly, investments from the public and private sector sectors, which renew frontline communities by make, making them more resilient and energy efficient, have become an imperative the current, uh, curbing the climate crisis. While investments toward the electrification of automotives and innovation in public transit, transit is on the upswing, the climate crisis must be addressed with greater urgency and a holistic approach must be taken. We need an all hands on deck approach in mobilizing the grassroots as engagement in the democratic process cannot be allowed to fail. The best way to afford equitable environmental policy is by electing public servants willing to prioritize the health of our communities and the well-being of our environment. Chiefsville, Florida stands vigilant on all these fronts. Hopefully the Biden administration takes all of this into account when rolling out the upcoming offshore leasing plan. Our communities are dying and they have the power to do something about it. Well, that was Getulio gonzalez Mulatieri, a community organizer with Chispa, Florida. You're listening to WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. You might be listening on the web at WMNF.org or you might be listening on our free mobile phone app, which is the WMNF Community Radio app, or perhaps you told your smart speaker to play WMNF. Well, regardless of how you're listening, we want you to participate in this conversation. We're talking about golf drilling, offshore drilling in the Gulf of Mexico. And these activists that you're hearing from now are calling for a moratorium on new oil and gas leases. But what are your thoughts? I want to hear your thoughts. Do you support or do you oppose these types of of leases, the drilling in the Gulf of Mexico? The text number is 813-433-0885 or the email is dj at wmnf.org. I'll give out the phone number now because in, in just a few minutes, we'll open up the phone line. So here's the number to call in if you want to get in on the queue, 813-239-9663. If you want to go on the air with your thoughts about oil and gas drilling on off the coast of Florida and the rest of the Gulf of Mexico, 813-239-9663. Well, the, I want to say something that came out from the Hernando County Sheriff's Office just now. If you're in Hernando, be aware that deputies are on the scene of a shooting behind the Publix, which is located at 160 Mariner Boulevard in Spring Hill. The suspect is in custody, so that careful out there in Spring Hill, Hernando County. We got an email here from DeMarco. He wrote a lot. I'll read a little bit of it. He said, um, what we really need to do is leave it in the ground. He's talking about fossil fuels. The same day that Vlad began the Ukrainian genocide, the IPCC, the International Panel on Climate Change, the scientists there released their latest report finding yet again that climate change is happening more quickly than previously predicted. So he goes on, but uh, thank you for that. DeMarco, thank you for that uh, comment. You can weigh in as well with your email at dj at wmnf.org or you can text us at 813-433-0885 or we are now opening the phone line soon, 813-239-9663. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. This is the Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. We're listening to some activists who were on a conference call talking about 
Gulf of Mexico oil drilling and why they oppose more drilling and they support a moratorium on new leases. So next up, we're going to hear from Colette Pinchon Battle. She's with the Gulf Coast Center for Law and Policy. Good news. I'm calling in from the Florida parishes of Louisiana. So I feel like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm on the traditional lands of the Choctaw Nation and um, just want to offer my respect and honor um, to that nation um, and the lands from which we do a lot of our work. Um, I'm calling in from Southeast Louisiana, so uh, the other side of the Gulf. And part of the reason why I get to be uh, part of this conversation today is because um, we too are in full agreement with the work of Representative Castor and the work of many of you on the call today. We don't want to see any new leases in the Gulf. Um, and while I want to speak a little bit about our reality, I first want to say um, and offer my deep gratitude and thanks to Representative Castor for her great work, for her great advocacy. I think Representative Castor, you have proven to all of us in the Gulf what advocacy um, for what we love can do, uh, what it means to protect our home, what it means to fight for we know for what we know is right and clean and healthy, but also good for our economies and our communities. And I just want to say thank you for being the kind of leader that many of us can get behind. And I also want to say uh, to those of you listening in from Florida um, that the Western Gulf shares the fate of the Eastern Gulf. In fact, we have been bearing a lot of the brunt of the decisions made at the federal level around who can drill, where things can be drilled, and what happens when they explode and when they leak and when they harm the communities and the ecosystems around them. We know what it is to celebrate, to recognize um, all that we have in this ecosystem, and we know what it is to grieve over um, the impacts that uh, that we saw in the B in the aftermath of the BP uh, Deepwater Horizon explosion and the uh, subsequent oil drilling disaster that followed. We are interested in how we can work together, how we can stand together, how we can approach this moment of opportunity in deep unity across the Gulf. I want to mention that, you know, what, what we can offer into this conversation, unfortunately, is um, a truthful tale of woe. Um, what it means to be in a place where extraction is allowed, uh, what it means to be in a place where destruction occurs all the time, and what it means to see the actual impact of offshore oil and gas drilling on our communities, which at a very uh, minimum equals inequality, inequity, and more discrimination. So we are not talking about an industry that will bring forth some unknown tale of wealth. We're talking about generations who have lived through oil and gas drilling in the Gulf, and we are no better for it. In fact, the wealth divide in South Louisiana with lots of oil and gas, even in Texas with lots of oil and gas, shows that this industry does bring wealth to some, but not to very many. And at what cost? We lose our ecosystems. For many of us in South Louisiana, South Texas, South Mississippi, we lose our culture and our traditions when we lose those ecosystems. And that means we're paying a bigger price than any uh, uh, economic impact that these industries might have on our state's GDP. It's important for you to understand that extraction occurs when they pull out this stuff 
from Mother Earth, and we've got to be more conscious about it. If nothing else, we've got to admit that we've taken enough. As Representative and others have mentioned, there are plenty of uh, leases that the oil and gas industry are already sitting on. I believe the Representative mentioned 11 million acres are already what they have in their position in their possession that they haven't begun to drill on yet. To get more to tie the future into this dirty way of life is not what we want, and it's not what we deserve, and it's not what our communities are asking us to stand up for. They're asking us to stop this stuff from harming them, from harming us. And that's what we intend to do. And that extraction contributes to the climate crisis. This is the motivator. This is the engine of the climate crisis. Every single time we drill, every single time we pull oil or gas up, we are releasing greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and we are accelerating these storms that brought people like me back home to fight for climate in the first place. This, we are not seeing something that we can't contribute a positive solution to. We are in control here. We just have to speak out and get behind our representatives who who will speak out for our communities. Drilling oil or gas accelerates the climate crisis, period. We have to stop it and we have to stop it now. But destruction also occurs. As we heard um, from uh, the, the data that was presented earlier, our ecosystems are being impacted, our wildlife. And for those of you who live like those of us in South Louisiana, we eat out of these waters. Our tradition counts on us to have access to this. And so we have to protect it, not just because dolphins are cute and whales are special, but because our communities need to be able to eat out of these waters and we need to be able to depend on the bounty that is coming forth. And finally, I just want to mention and underscore the laborers of this industry, often poor, often black, often uh, indigenous, they are not receiving the wealth that is being talked about. In fact, they're being exposed oftentimes to toxic working conditions without the benefit of unionized labor or protections for their own safety. We're not dealing with an industry that is bringing positivity to our region. We are dealing with an industry that is bringing destruction to our region, and it's time for us to fight for it. This is the moment. This is the moment we can all move forward with on together, the east side of the Gulf and the west side of the Gulf. We need everyone to sign on petitions for no new leases in the Gulf. We want no more oil and gas drilling anywhere in that five-year plan. And if the Department of Interior or anybody else comes out saying we've got to do more drilling, our answer collectively from the east to the west of this Gulf has to be no more sacrifice. We are not giving anything else to this dirty industry. And we're not just saying no. We want to demand deep investments into renewable energy, but not just any renewable energy. We want renewable energy to be justly sourced. That means where these things are manufactured, where these big pieces are, the, the raw materials come from, they cannot accelerate crisis or tensions in other places around the globe. It's time for us to use our innovation to find ways to have justly sourced renewable energy invested at the levels that we see these oil and gas companies getting tax breaks and benefits from the federal government at right now. This is what we need to see. We're calling for no new leases. We're calling for bigger investment in justly sourced renewable energy, and we need your help to do it. We need to get behind Representative Castor and everyone else who has the courage to stand up for this region. We need to get behind these local organizations and everyone who has the courage to stand up and fight for their community. This climate crisis is our opportunity to lead and lead we shall and we'll lead with the front lines. Thank you.
That was Colette Pinch on Battle with the Gulf Coast Center for Law and Policy. You're listening to WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. This is the Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. We're listening to environmentalists and activists who were on a conference call a couple of weeks ago talking about their opposition to new oil and gas drilling leases in the Gulf of Mexico. And I'm wondering from our listeners, what do you think? And you can call us at 813 813- Two three nine nine six six three. I know we've been giving out that number during the last seven days as a fundraising number, but now you can actually get on the air when you call that number and you can participate in this conversation. Do you agree with what these activists and environmentalists are saying? Do you think that there should be a moratorium on new Gulf oil leases? Or do you, uh, do you support more and more gas and oil explore, exploration and drilling in the Gulf of Mexico? Either way, I'd like to hear from you. 813-239-9663. Of course, if you'd like to email us, it's dj at wmnf.org. Or you can text 813-433-0885. Please sign your name if you do text. And I should tell you that uh, Jeff writes in and says... Electric vehicles might be an option, but they're more expensive than traditional gas-fueled vehicles. He asks, can there be more financial incentives to get people to purchase electric vehicles? So that's a question out there it's from Jeff. And I believe that Representative Castor mentioned that in during her talk and is that the, her her committee and uh, some others in, the, in Congress are trying to get more incentives for financial incentives for electric vehicles. So... Uh, that's certainly something to watch, certainly something to push for if that's what you're interested in. Well, again, you're listening to WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. I'm Sean Canan. We're going to continue now to hear from a couple of more um, of these activists, and I want to hear from you as well. Again, the number is 813-239-9663. So the next panelist we'll hear from is Aliki Moncrief, the executive director with FCV, Florida Conservation Voters. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. I feel really honored to be a part of this panel and I'm feeling really inspired. Uh, Colette, you've just um, infused this whole hour with so much amazing energy, joy, and love. I'm really grateful uh, to you for doing that. Um, And I'm also grateful, you know, we vote and we elect our representatives so that when they go to DC or they go to Tallahassee or they go to wherever they go in their elected uh, capacity that they represent us. And we are incredibly fortunate to have uh, Representative Kathy Castor's leadership um, here in Florida and beyond. You know, she she speaks up and stands up not just for her constituents, but for but for Floridians and, and for everyone living in the Gulf and really everyone on the planet when it comes to tackling the, the climate crisis. So really grateful um, to have her constant and steady, um, smart decision-making and advocacy um, as a voice for us in DC. Um, and, you know, every time there has been a moment um, like this moment where we're talking about a five-year offshore leasing plan, um, which we'll get into in a, in a minute. Every time there's a moment um, to say no to offshore drilling, the people of Florida have an undeniable track record. Um, as Hunter mentioned, we worked together in 2018 um, on a constitutional amendment where nearly 70% of voters who cast vote who cast ballots that year in Florida voted to permanently ban drilling in state waters. Why does that happen? Well, in Florida, you know, we're we're a state that relies on three core industries, people moving here, tourism, agriculture. Uh, So with those three things, 
we all know that furthering our reliance on dirty fossil fuels actually causes harm on all of those fronts, not to mention, you know, um, the harm that it causes to our communities and, and our ecosystems. Um, so, you know, right now, the fate of this five-year or offshore leasing plan may not actually be at the top of many people's minds. You know, Representative Castor mentioned um, earlier that, you know, many families throughout the Gulf and throughout the country are, are struggling with high prices on a lot of things, high prices on consumer goods, high prices at the gas station, high housing costs. So people have their eyes on survival right now um, and they're looking for solutions. Unfortunately, what we see with the fossil fuel industry is the industry taking advantage of fear and uncertainty about the future. They're taking advantage of this to push for more drilling and they're fueling misinformation campaigns. When we know that expanded drilling, you know, adding to the, the library of new leases, that's not even going to provide a temporary fix, much less long-term solutions. Um, you know, I think the representative and others have said expanding drilling today isn't going to produce oil for years or even decades. But what we do know is that expanding those leases today would keep us locked into the very energy systems that are destroying our planet and destroying our communities. There's a better way. There is a cleaner future on the horizon that doesn't rely on fossil fuels. Um, and I know uh, Susan Glickman, who's coming up, is going to talk about some of those solutions. So I won't, I won't, uh, I, uh, I won't give a spoiler alert. How about that? Or maybe I will give a spoiler alert. I always get those expressions wrong. Um, so the decision now pending with the Biden Harris administration is going to affect our children, their children, their children. And that's why this is a moment where we need leadership and courage and courage from the administration. Um, we need a transformative, clean energy future as Colette mentioned, one that is justly sourced uh, and expanding leases in the Gulf takes us in the absolute wrong uh, direction. Why are we even having these conversations? Well, I can guarantee that the fossil fuel industry has hundreds of lobbyists and other agents working overtime every day, delivering their talking points to our representatives. And that's why our representatives, the Biden administration, absolutely near need to hear from all of us, not just every two years or every four years when we vote, but now we need to stay civically engaged. We need to, and, and Hunter's going to provide a link later, we need to start signing these petitions to voice our opposition to drilling. And when the time comes, we need to take advantage of public comment periods that are going to open because it's not, it's not enough to vote and get the right people in office we also have to make sure that they're constantly hearing from us. And, and when it comes to uh, this five-year plan, they absolutely need to hear no new leases. Well, that was Aliki Moncrief, the executive director with FCV, Florida Conservation Voters. You're listening to WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. It's 1048 in the morning. And you heard there that uh, Aliki Moncrief mentioned the 2018 that Floridians passed Amendment 9, which banned offshore drilling in Florida state waters. So to draw that connection between then and now, we have Susan Glickman, who is an advocate with the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy. Here is more of this conference call, and here's Susan Glickman. 
part of me is super excited to be here. I'm always excited to be with people that I admire and respect. Um, then this was an exceptional group on the phone today. Um, but part of me just says, I can't believe we're still having to have this conversation, right? So both uh, Hunter and Aliki and others have alluded uh, to an initiative that was passed in 2018. And that was to put in Florida's constitution, um, a, a, a ban on drilling in state waters. That is 10 miles to the shore. And one of the reasons that I emphasize that because there's a lot of what we all term politics um, involved in that. Um, and the efforts to drill or to pass legislation to allow us to drill in nearshore waters is a little bit of a uh, pressure point to open up drilling in the eastern Gulf of Mexico. So there's a bit of a political tactic. So the head of the American Petroleum Institute was in little Tallahassee, Florida state capital, nosing around with Florida lawmakers and policymakers about ending this nearshore ban on drilling that was just added to the state constitution. So it's just important to understand that even though, as Congresswoman Castor said, and I'm I'm the president of the Kathy Castor fan club here, so uh, anyway, I won't spend too much time on that. But but Congresswoman Castor, you are you are just a breath of fresh air to everyone involved in this movement, and you have done so much over a number of years. So that said. But here we are. It's hard to believe. In 2009, the Florida House of Representatives voted to, to lift the nearshore ban. And that's why we had to go to the state constitution. And even though they have all of those leases, they're not satisfied with that. They want to come back for more and continue to addict us. So I just uh, wanted to put a fine point that this is a concern right now. Because I think a lot of people believe it's sort of off the table. It's also been talked about with the high gas prices, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and what that is doing uh, to prices for people. And I do understand um, how many people are suffering with just making basic decisions to cover their needs. But a big part of what we're talking about here today is saving money. And whether we're saving money in our region or in our community or we're saving money as individuals, that's what the electrification of transportation offers us. So if you're an individual person, Consumer Reports says that over the life cycle of an electric vehicle, you're going to save between six and $10,000 in ownership costs. You're saving $4,700 on fuel costs alone. So those are the kind of, of savings that individuals can, can look forward to if we have favorable policies and we move to electrify transportation and in a way, in particular, in an equitable way. And I'll, I'll mention some of those things. Uh, but even if we're looking sort of more globally in terms of saving dollars, in the Southeast region, we have about $47 billion in what we call retained fuel dollars. So once you bring in fuel from elsewhere, right, you're sending energy dollars out here at home. We do this in the electric sector where we send about $65 billion a year. And it's very similar. The Southeast um, loses about $47 billion. So that's money that is on the table for local communities when we move to clean energy solutions. You're keeping those energy dollars right here. And it's part of how we start to get a more equitable transition. 
right? So you're going to save just money on fuel savings and so forth, but you're also going to improve public health. And that's what the electrification of transportation does. Hunter mentioned that I work with Florida clinicians for climate action. They're 18 clinician uh, affiliates around the country, and people are starting to understand more and more about the public health implications of climate change. So there's a, um, whether or not we call it a savings um, or we stop spending all this money on public health. Um, but it's um, it's really a huge problem. And of course, um, the American Lung Association is one of our favorite resources on, on public health, just released their report and the potential for public health savings. And as any member of Congress would tell you, we spend an enormous amount of money um, on public health. So four out of 10 Americans live in a community where the air is unhealthy and people of color are 3.6 times more likely to live in those unhealthy communities. So think about all the savings that we're going to get from there. So what do we do? Here's the good news. And as someone um, who, like others on the phone, have been doing this for quite some time, we get to talk about electric transportation, electric vehicles in a way that we really couldn't have, um, you know, even three years ago, right? You would have to be living under a rock and not ever watching things like the Super Bowl uh, to know that there are about a 100 electric vehicle models that are coming out now. I just saw um, an ad for um, a garbage truck um, that's coming out. So we're starting to have, there's more electric buses and more availability. And this is how we are going to um, reduce this addiction. We're going to move quickly, particularly with things like fleet transitions. And, and I sort of put that in my kind of top 10. It's for people, what can you do? Climate change is interesting because it's something where the individual can take action. So you can make your home more efficient and you can also get solar and you can also drive an electric vehicle. But really uh, to get at the scale that we need to avoid the worst implications of the climate crisis, we need policy and we need uh, really globally. Um, so we need plans for all local governments. We need to look at the transitioning of fleets. We need charging infrastructure. That's another area where equity plays a role because 80% of charging happens at home. So if we don't put charging infrastructure into multifamily uh, units now, when they're being built, it can cost as much as 10 times more uh, after the fact. So we've got to get out in front and we need to look at funding and financing. There's no reason in the world that we can't finance even used electric vehicles for lower income people. Most people don't drive more than 40 uh, miles in a day and you don't have all those maintenance costs. So there is an opportunity. I mean, it, we're going to have to do the right thing and put the right plans in place. Uh, but this is something that can help people's public health. It can save so much money for our governments. Um, I saw a quote from a transportation manager in Greenville, South Carolina, said he can save $300,000 over the life cycle of an electric a bus. So that's pretty impressive. And we can do this thing. And we have this technology available right now. And, um, and that's what we need to do. Uh, because the entire Gulf of Mexico was hurt. University of South Florida marine scientists are still finding oil in the fish that we're eating. And, you know, that hurts old, it hurts young. 
in particular people who who subsist on 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 fish from the gulf but really everybody so we can do better so i'm i'm thrilled there is no shortage of solutions we have it we can do this thing but we need to get moving now because you know the oceans are warming the storms are getting uh you know more intense and one thing we can do is to electrify our transportation we can avoid the need uh to drill and drilling is just dirty business well that was susan glickman an advocate with southern alliance for clean energy and our website wmnf.org has links to more information about what you heard on this show uh, it includes the petition that uh, that they were referring to. Well, I want to thank Jan- John Dunn and Randy Zimmerman for their help on the show today. You have been listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. This show is every Tuesday morning at 10. Next Tuesday at 10, we're going to hear about a push for a constitutional amendment in Florida that makes clean water a right. So I hope you tune in next Tuesday. And I want to thank everyone who contributed during our recent summer fun drive. The people have the power and you uh, came through to us for to a huge degree. If you like the programming on 88.5 FM, please consider making a donation at WMNF.org. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the overall station came up short of the $222,000 goal but we're still short on the public affairs and news side of things by $148 so I am looking for someone to donate $148 that would help the news and public affairs meet its part of the goal you can donate at WMNF.org in this time slot tomorrow, Shelly will host Midpoint. And next up, we have Wavemakers. Tom Sherberger will be in to host Wavemakers today. That's coming up after NPR headlines. You're listening to WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, and Lakeland. I want to thank you so much for listening. And this celebratory music is in contrast with the sad news I have to share from the WMNF community. Longtime WMNF programmer Mary Glennie passed away yesterday, Juneteenth. Most recently, Mary was the host and producer for WMNF's From a Woman's Point of View, along with her longtime co-host Arlene Engelhart. Both women retired from their show in June of last year, but continued to fill in as co-hosts of other public affairs shows whenever they were called upon. Taking over WMNF's Women's Show, which was a staple of our Saturday schedule, Mary dove deep with varied guests from all professions and walks of life, life, including women who climbed Mount Everest. She had musician Eliza Gilkison on quite a lot. She had scientists, musicians, peace activists like Code Pink's Medea Benjamin, doctors, and author Naomi Klein. Quite a list of guests that Mary would bring on. Mary met author Studs Terkel in Chicago. She encouraged her to con- he encouraged her to continue her, her writing and radio. So taking her inspiration from studs, Mary engaged her guests with a firm understanding of the topic they would be tackling on air, leading listeners into a warm and personable one-on-one conversation we felt privileged to be part of. Mary genuinely cared about people and wanted peace in the U.S. and around the world. For many years, Mary and Arlene led a full day of special programming on International Women's Day, recruiting and coordinating all the women's voices heard on WMNF for a full day of programming by and for women. Mary earned her M.D. from the University of Illinois, Chicago. On her shows, Mary loved playing this song, The People Have the Power by Patti Smith.
again, Mary Glenny, host of the show A Woman's From a Woman's Point of View, passed away yesterday. She will be missed. Peace. <laughs>